Hey there, are you a spiritual seeker looking for the perfect way to blend your physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental health and well-being practices? Maybe you already have an interest in yoga or astrology or want to learn more about yoga's sister science, Jyotish, or Vedic astrology? Well then, I'm super glad you're here, and I'd like to extend you a very warm welcome to the Yogi Scopes podcast. I'm your host, Rosemary Holbrook. I'm a yoga teacher and a Vedic sidereal astrologer, meaning I use the sidereal zodiac, so some of the signs might be different from what you're used to. To get a free copy of your sidereal birth chart, please visit my website, yogiscopes.com slash chart dash calculator. Now let's get started. Glad you're here. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Yogi Scopes podcast. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Today's episode is rather than a forecast, if you will, or like what a Yogi Scope tech, you know, usually is, yoga practices for the astrological weather, it's more of a lecture format. So I'm actually, um, I'm just going to ramble and talk to you for a few minutes about updates and housekeeping stuff and then I'm going to slap the recording in here of a lecture about Rahu and K2. And I have mentioned this before that I would post this. I was planning to post it in March, closer to when this big Rahu and K2 transit actually happens. But um, so as it happens last week, or actually week before last, my son was exposed to COVID. We didn't get it, but uh, we had another surprise week off because daycares have to close for 10 days still, at least here in North Carolina, when there's a COVID exposure because the kids are too young to be vaccinated or masked or whatever. And so I had another surprise 10 days off of work, which the good news is four of those 10 days were on the weekend, but um, which I don't usually work anyway because I'm home with my kiddo. But so... You might not have known because I actually the week before last had done really well and gotten my episodes for last week scheduled ahead of time, which I've been telling y'all is my plan because I have maternity leave coming up. So I've been trying to get ahead with episodes and I managed to do that for last week, but not for this week. I was going to do that, you know, just continue to get further ahead, but now I'm behind because mom life. Um, So over the week last week, which there's some beauty in having to just slow down. I've started... This is the third time my son's daycare has closed for COVID exposures since it had, you know, since it all, you know, not like recently, like it's been over the past, you know, year and a half or whatever. It's the third time it's happened. And so the first couple times it happened, I used to like really toil and stress and try to figure out how I could still get some work done and all of that. And now instead of doing that, I just accept that. It's going to be better for everyone if I just stay really present with my son and hang out with him and have fun and enjoy just being in like full toddler mode. Um, Yeah, so that's what I did. And but so in that, this is the beauty of that. And this is why I'm telling you all of this is because the lesson in that for me that I think is applicable to kind of any situation when things don't go as planned. Um is that when you're able to just be still and be present, you'd be surprised at what ideas come up that you weren't thinking about before. You get to see things from a new perspective and it just, we can act from a much more aligned place when we're not living in the past or future, which 
is what I would have been doing if I would have been just stressing about all the work that I had planned to get done in the past that now is not an option to get done last week and then or stressed about the things coming down the pipe in the future. Instead, I was just like, I'm just going to hang out with my kid and we're going to do toddler stuff every day. And anyway, so I think I mentioned, I don't even remember what I said on last week's episode because now it was like two weeks ago that I recorded it and I've been doing a lot of things since then. And, but I do know that I went looking at the transits coming up this week and what I felt like was important to talk about. One of the things that I do know I mentioned on last week's episode was um, K2 changing nakshatras, which is kind of starting to usher in this uh, big karmic energy shift we have coming in this year. So it felt like a good time um, for me so that I can get my bearings straight so I can just use a, an old recording I have of explaining explaining Rahu and K2 in super depth so that you can understand a little bit more about what this major shift coming up means um, and understand more about the kind of karmic energies going on in your own birth chart, in your own life. So this this is an evergreen lecture. It is meant to um, be a thing you can come back to kind of any time. Rahu and K2 change signs or that you want to understand more about where they are in your birth chart or whatever. Um, that's what this lecture is for. It's actually already been live for the members, but I told them I was eventually going to release just this portion of it on the public podcast. Um, I'm not, that's not something I do is like publish something for members and then end up giving it away for free later. There was another like equally large portion of this lecture that's live for the members that I'm not releasing on the public podcast. If you want it, you can go sign up for a membership um, or it's already live there and you can watch it. A lecture about it's just the continuation on this lecture of about where they have been for the past year and a half, Rahu and K2, and where they're moving in just a little over a month now, which I will cover um, on this podcast when it happens, of course, but it always gets covered more in depth over there, and they get sign-by-sign interpretations in the membership. So if you want me to just tell you, if you don't really care about trying to decipher it on your own, or maybe, maybe it's fun for you to try to decipher it on your own and you just want another set of eyes, another, you know, kind of expert opinion about what this big shift might mean for you. That's what goes on in the membership. So you can jump in there. This lecture's already been up there and you can see my face when I do it with cool images of that help, um, make some of the stuff I talk about make more sense. So this is just audio, but in the membership, there's a video and more explanation about the current happenings with Rahu and K2. So this is just a lecture about the astronomy behind Rahu and K2, plus the mythology from, you know, ancient India, and um, how that stuff works together to form what the astrological archetype represents. So here is that, and I'm going to just Go ahead and slap this up there on my website so you can listen to it and enjoy it and be on the lookout for some more cool stuff coming down the pipe this week. I'm not even going to say what it is because it remains to be seen as I unbury myself from a surprise 10 days off of work, you know, so it'll be cool, whatever it is, Um, but I'm just not making any promises. So just I'm back now, hopefully 
her until I take maternity leave, which was planned in a few weeks. Anyway, so I'm glad you're here. Hit me with any questions you have about Rahu and Ketu. And if you want to go ahead and listen to the more recent relevant recording that is in the membership for you to listen right now as soon as you sign up. The link to that is in the show notes. And otherwise, I'm glad you're here. And here it is. Just with a disclaimer that it's going to kind of pick up in what might feel like a weird place because I was doing some housekeeping at the beginning of that um, recording too to tell the members that I would be releasing that portion on the public podcast. So they weren't surprised. Um, And so... Then it, so it's going to sound like I launched it in a weird place, but that's why I recorded this separate intro for this public episode. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you revisit it. I hope you let it wash over you and sit with it. That's how this information is meant to be transmitted and learned. And just let me know if you have any questions that come up. Because I've spent a long time trying to learn about Rahu and Ketu, and I think hearing the mythology behind it in that portion kind of helps understand it a little bit better, hearing the mythology and the astronomy behind it kind of helps understand astrologically what what they mean because as a reminder everything in astrology is just a bunch of symbols and archetypes and we look at how those things interact with each other purely based on how they're playing out in the sky because they go through cycles and sometimes the cycles line up the same every few hundred or whatever years depending on what it is specifically you're looking at it could be once a month, this thing happens, like the moon transits all of the signs once a month. But when you want to talk about like these slower moving planets being in signs together um, with other slower moving planets or whatever, these things that happen slower, they tend to be more of a big deal when they happen again. Um, and the, it can give us clues into, okay, what pattern is playing out that played out, you know, X number of years ago, or maybe it's just, we look at the archetypes And we say, how are these patterns of these archetypes playing out in my life? That's where a lot of the value from astrology comes from. So that's why I even bother explaining to you the mythology that explains the archetype, the astronomy that explains how and when it happens. And then I will go into the astrological significance. And so just as a brief, like to put it in a nutshell, Rahu and K2 are the nodes of the moon, so they are the eclipse points. You might have heard me say that before. Um, either the sun and or the moon, depending on what kind of eclipse it is, will be conjunct, meaning exactly at the same point in the sky from our point of view as Rahu or K2 during a solar or lunar eclipse. And so that has meaning astrologically. Um So they're not actually planets. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But basically, the summary piece I wanted to give you going into this is that they are also known as like the karmic nodes. So that's kind of, I'll explain the mythology, I'll explain the astronomy, I'll explain what they mean astrologically, and then I will go into the sort of karmic lessons. I've been mentioning this, you've probably heard me say it, um, karmic lessons that we've been working through for the past 18 months because they are getting ready to move in March. So I guess the past, you know, 14 months or 16 months or whatever, like they're getting ready to move really soon. Um, So this is really helpful to know, but there's some other things going on astrologically this year that kind of reinforce or might re 
bring up those karmic lessons. So I will go over those things at the end. Hey, side note from present me in this past lecture that by at the end and the stuff I'm about to describe when I say I'm going over it here, that is the rest of the lecture that is available in the membership. Just full disclosure, if you want that information, that is what is available for the members only. It's available now. You can listen to it as soon as you sign up. Um, otherwise, you can just stay tuned and maybe I'll cover it in some way, shape, or form as it happens. But if you want to have an outlook right now, you can sign up for it in the membership. Same thing with the recording for the new moon, new year, new moon that I talked about. I talked about a lot of um, the energies for this year and that recording is up now for members. Nobody else gets the recording but members. So if you want it, Go join the membership and you can have it all. Otherwise, just stay tuned and enjoy the Rahu and K2 lecture. So after we've talked about all of that, I'll talk about where they are now and what we've been going through for the past little bit. You might have heard, I touched on it in the New Year, New Moon workshop, if you've had a chance to watch that replay, but um, I'm going to go into it more specifically and in depth here to talk about what kind of karmic lessons I think might be beneficial for you to tie up by, you know, March or so, like what you might, what I think you might be working with, um, at this point of the year. So starting off with the mythology, the story from ancient India behind Rahu and Ketu. So there's this event called Samudra Manthan. And I'm, this is going to be like the drunk history version, even though I'm not drunk. I'm like eight months pregnant and not drunk, but this is how I am. Um, so, so I'm going to explain it. It's kind of complicated. There's a lot of like offshoots from the story. Um, I'm going to try to just hit the high notes, the points that seem to really matter and explain only as much needs to be explained in my opinion to make this make sense. So there's this event, a very important event in Hindu history called Samudra Manthan. And it was this time where these two groups of people, the Asuras and the Devas, who, for the purpose of this story, I don't know if this is always true. I didn't investigate it any further. The Asuras are the bad guys and the Devas are the good guys in this story. Um, but it might change in other stories. I don't really know. Um, so this event... They were, these two groups of people were holding a snake and they were churning the ocean and they were churning the ocean to try to find Amrit, which is basically immortality nectar, um, which side note, there are lots of stories. I've been thinking about doing an episode about this on my other podcast, The Science of Light. I can't figure out exactly how to frame it, but it's an ongoing theory I have how all of the civilizations looking for the nectar of immortality, the fountain of youth. And you know what I think is, is the nectar of immortality and in the fountain of youth? It's just water. Just stay hydrated. Okay, <laughs> anyway. So they were looking for Amrit, which is the Sanskrit word for basically immortality nectar. It's a nectar that makes you immortal. And everybody wanted it. So they were turning the ocean to try to find it. And... First, they found some poison and blah, blah, blah. That's like a separate story. Um, but eventually they found it and the Asuras stole it. They were like, we're going to keep this to ourselves. And then, so Vishnu, 
the deity, shape-shifted into this, like, beautiful woman to go and charm them and steal it back. And so he did, and he stole it back and brought it back to the devas. And once he did that and he was passing it out, one of the asuras named Svarbanu, not important, really, um, at least for this context, shape-shifted and disguised as one of the devas to try and come and steal some for himself. And he got discovered by Surya and Chandra, which are the sun and the moon, who I guess are some of the devas. Um, And so they realized that Svarbanu was in disguise. And so they told Lord Vishnu, and Lord Vishnu chopped off Svarbanu's head. And But before he did, Svarbanu was able to get one drop of the Amrit, of the immortality nectar. So now he's immortal, but his head is severed from his body. And that became Rahu and Ketu. So you might have even, if you've had a reading from me before, sometimes I explain that part that um, Rahu is the head of a snake and K2 is the tail of the snake and they're the same snake, but they've been severed. Um, So this is the rest of the story, which is kind of fun. Um, So so they got severed, but of course Farbani was mad at Surya, the sun, and Chandra, the moon, for telling on him. So he spent the rest of eternity because he was immortal. And so now, so are the sun and the moon because they got the nectar too, because they're devas. Um, they're all immortal. Um, and so the head of the snake and the tail of the snake spent, they're severed and they're in the night sky, right? Their points in the night sky. They spend eternity chasing the sun and the moon. And then every once in a while, they're able to catch the sun or the moon. Um, and that's when an eclipse happens. And then there's something more to the story that's like because they're um, the bad guys kind of, they're, they're not able to like, or because the sun and the moon are also immortal, they, they can't die when they get caught. So they escape every time. And so it just goes around for all of eternity. Um, and that's how eclipses happen, which we actually see a similar um, mythology in a lot of cultures like Native American culture has a story um, the something about the frog ate the sun, um, or at least the Cherokee. I like a Cherokee guy told me that one time at an eclipse. Cool story. Um, we went to watch the solar eclipse in 2018 in Cherokee, North Carolina, and we met like a Native American guy out in the woods where we were watching the eclipse. Um, we thought we were in solitude and so did he, I guess, but he ended up telling us the Native American story about the frog ate the moon. So, um, that's kind of all I know about that. Just what one guy told me, but lots of, you know, ancient cultures just made up stories for astronomical events and both this one at least and the Native American Cherokee story are that something eats the sun or the moon, depending on if it's a solar or lunar eclipse, and um, that, so that's the myth, um, basically that the Rahu is the head of the snake, and is chasing around the sun and the moon through the sky, and K2 is the tail, like the body of the snake, um, 
and they're just chasing the sun and the moon both eternally forever sometimes they catch them sometimes and when they do because the sun and the moon are also immortal they escape so that's the story that's kind of fun right um and we'll get more into um how those archetypes come up with meaning astrologically in just a moment so um the astronomy behind it is basically that Rahu and K2 are the nodes of the moon. So Rahu is the north node. K2 is the south node. And they move. So all of this stuff does not move on the same path in the sky, actually. Like in space, it doesn't. But from our point of view, it moves on the same path, which is called the ecliptic. So from our point of view, all of the planets, and Rahu and K2 aren't actually planets, but... We'll get into that in a second. They move across the ecliptic, so um, which actually changes based on the season. So if you've ever noticed that, like during the summer, the sun moves like all the way across the top of the sky, and then during the winter, it moves low across the southern sky, at least here in the northern hemisphere. And so the ecliptic changes, but it's still one path, and and it can move like up and down from our point of view, but it's one path. So that's when we say things are like at the same point in the sky. They're not like physically touching. That's not what's happening, but they are, um, cross. They, from our point of view, one blocks out the other basically, um, is what happens. And so the sun and the moon move around. All of the planets move around clockwise from our point of view. Like they rise in the East, set in the West, um, all of them do, and Rahu and K2 move counterclockwise. So they're always in retrograde motion, always. They don't ever go retrograde. That would be confusing. If they did go retrograde, that would mean they're moving forward. No, they're just always in retrograde. They don't go direct. They're always moving the opposite way from the rest of the planet. So they're astronomically, they're just mathematical points. They're not physical bodies in space but they are the points that are also moving this way it gets confusing um, but we don't won't worry about that too much just know that they're the points where either the sun and or the moon are for a solar and lunar eclipse so for example let me think through this so I don't say it wrong for a lunar eclipse this earth is blocking out the sun's light on the moon. So the earth will be in between the sun and the moon. And that's a full moon. So when the sun and the moon are on opposite sides, normally the sun is able to shine all of its light onto the moon, making it full, look appear full, right? Because we can see all of it because this, the way the sun is angled at it, they're on complete opposite sides. But then when on an eclipse, the earth would be right in between. So it puts a shadow onto the moon and it, you know, it can be a total or partial, you know, it, it depends. But when that happens, the sun and the moon will be on the nodes, not earth, because it's all from our point of view. So that's what happens in a lunar eclipse in a solar eclipse. The moon is between the earth and the sun and it's blocking 
out the sun's light from our perspective. So we'll also talk more about what those mean astrologically too when we get to eclipse season. I've, I kind of explained it last eclipse season, but it's always worth revisiting for sure. Um, I mean, at least this is how I understand things. So I hope it's helpful for you. Um, when I understand the mythology and the astronomy, then the astrological um, archetypes, they make sense to me. Like they, they're not just made up bullshit. Maybe it seems like they are, but when you when you explain the mythology and the astronomy, it like actually makes sense that these things would represent what they do and we can apply that to our lives and see um, kind of, you know, how that plays out in our lives. And then it's a valuable tool to put language to our experiences. Anyway, so solar eclipse. Then from our point of view, the earth or sorry, the moon and the sun would be conjunct, what we call conjunct in astrology. They're in the same, they're actually at the same degree point of the same sign. That's when the peak of the eclipse happens, but it actually, it's happening the whole time the moon is passing in front of the sun or whichever way it goes. You know, from our point of view, if earth is over here and the moon and the sun, right? If you're watching my hands, but hopefully it makes sense, even if you're not watching my hands. Um, so the the moon the peak of the eclipse like the peak moment which is also what we call like the peak of the new moon or the full moon is when they're at the exact same degree point so the full moon they're on opposite they'll be in different signs but they'll be in signs directly across from each other but when they reach the same degree point of their respective signs or at a new moon when they reach the same degree point of that sign they will also be during a solar eclipse at the same degree point as either Rahu or K2. I actually didn't look into it ahead of time. It might change. I don't really know. It's not that important. We'll cover it when we get there. Um, but they will be at the same degree point as each other and as one of the nodes, probably depending on if it's a total or a partial, if it's a partial, they may never exactly line up, but during a total eclipse, they would line up exactly. Um, so that's what happens. That's what that's what I mean when I say they are eclipse points. They're the points in the sky where either the sun and or the moon are um, when an eclipse happens, either a lunar or a solar eclipse. And those, ha so they have to happen at the same time as new and full moons. I didn't actually know that until I started studying astrology heavily that, that always, that's just, it has to happen that way. Like it can't not be a new or a full moon when an eclipse happens, um, just due to the nature of the event. I hope that makes sense based on what I just explained. If it doesn't, please reach out to me with questions. Um, so then let's explain with all of that in mind, the mythology, the astronomy, um, let's talk about the astrological archetypes of Rahu and Ketu. So, Rahu is the north node. It is also the head of the snake. So it's a head without a body. That makes it insatiable. Like, do you ever think, like, if you were a head, taking, most of your sensory information is taken in and definitely all of it is processed in your head. So, like, your eyes, your ears, your taste, your smell, um, it's all taken in through your head. 
and your brain is in your head. So that's where it all gets processed. And so if you were to be a head without a body, it would just be very overstimulating. Probably you could never be embodied. You're just taking in all this stuff all the time. You're insatiable because you can't get full because your feelings of fullness come from your stomach and your body. So you're just taking in everything. Can never be really grounded down to earth. That's Rahu, a head without a body. It's insatiable. Um, it's also said to be your this life karma or forward moving karma. Um, so it's like what you're here on earth to accomplish. So whether or not you subscribe to reincarnation doesn't matter. Um, just know that that's what it's talking about when I say that technically from the origins of, you know, Hinduism, the, this actually, this information actually comes from the Jyotish Shastra, which is like the oldest, um, cohesive text. Like Vedic astrology shows up in some older texts. Uh, but the Horus Shastra is like the one where all the information we get comes from. And so this stuff goes all the way back until then. Um, it's, it's inextricably linked with, um, reincarnation, but you don't have to believe in reincarnation. Cause I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, you know how we say like in another lifetime and we mean like when we were younger or something, or like when we had a different career or a different job or like before we had kids, that was like another lifetime ago. So somewhere in our awareness and our cultural awareness, we know that things change. And we can look at that astrologically. Um, things change in such a way that it feels like a completely different lifetime, right? For many of us, some of us, it may be not so stark or maybe not so often. And astrologically, there could be a lot of reasons for that. It could be, it could have to do with Rahu and K2 transits, which is what we're here talking about now, or it could have to do with dashas, which are planetary periods. Um, we'll talk more about that in a future lesson, I'm sure, um, especially if you hit me with your questions with it, I'm more likely to do it sooner. Um, anyway, so Rahu is your this lifetime karma. It's like what you're here to accomplish, what you're here to figure out. And so that I say all that just to say that it could be literally in this lifetime, like over your whole birth to death lifetime, or especially when we're looking at the transits of Rahu and K2 in this current cycle. Um, what karmic lessons are you up against in this current cycle? 18 months. They la they stay in a sign for 18 months. Um, other planets, it can like fluctuate because they have retrogrades. But like I said earlier, Rahu and K2 are always retrograde. They never go direct. So they take the same amount of time every time to move through a sign. And it's 18 months, a year and a half. Um, so... Rahu is this lifetime karma. K2 is past lifetime karma. So we'll get to K2 in just a second. Um, just a few more things I want to say about Rahu. So with the idea that um, it's a head without a body, so all that stuff I was saying before about being, it can be overstimulating, it can be obsessive, it can be insatiable. Um, it can also be kind of like, headstrong, like, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but like, um, yeah, headstrong is fine. It's a fine word. Um, it's what you're here to accomplish. And so in your life, if you look at it in your birth chart, where it is, 
you can get some insight on like what may be the biggest areas. So this, this applies to whether it's wherever it is in your birth chart and wherever it is by transit. So, um, what you're here to accomplish, what you're going to struggle with areas that you have lessons to learn, like spiritual karmic lessons, spiritual lessons. And if you think about that, when you're like, kind of obsessive about something, you're going to have to like learn lessons, right? So that makes sense. Um, and then K2 is the body of the snake, the body without a head. And it is, um, so if you think about the, what that represents, it's always embodied. It's reclusive because it doesn't have a head. So it's, it can take in like a little bit of sensory information, but can't process it because that's in the head. It's just embodied. It's just, so it's very spiritual is what I'm saying. It's detached because it's not taking in all this worldly information. It doesn't have a head. It's, um, just detached from the world. It's embodied. Um, it can also, uh, so it can represent things like spiritual asceticism. Like if you think about what that is, like removing yourself from the world, uh, in yoga, it's like the pratyahara, the removal of withdrawal, sense withdrawal, like you're not taking in and that's seen to be highly spiritual. But for a lot of us, it's not really, you know, we can't just do that all the time. We have like bills to pay. So we have to be participants in the world, you know, um, sometimes, but sometimes we do go through, uh, spiritual awakenings where we are able to withdraw in that way. Um, so, so it's a very spiritual, but it's also very detached K2 is, and that's, that represents where it is, like I said, with Rahu, where it is in your birth chart, that's going to be kind of like an overarching theme of your life. Um, and where it is by transit, you might experience more, um, of these things related to just that current cycle. So, so it'll still probably be poignant and noticeable, but not as like, constant of a lesson as it is wherever it is in your birth chart, basically. Um, so K2 is said to represent past life karma. So however you want to look at that, maybe you don't subscribe to reincarnation. I'm not asking you to, but I am asking you to at least think about like, okay, you go through a period in your life Think, uh, maybe, maybe you've never said that. Maybe you've never said in a past lifetime, I was such and such. Um, and you really mean when you were like 17 or something, I don't know. Maybe that's never like something you've said, but I know it's something I've said, like, um, like before I went through addiction, that was a past lifetime for me. And while I was going through addiction, that was another past lifetime, like that's in this lifetime. But so maybe you have something like that. Maybe like while you were in high school or college or, um, working in a certain job and you switched industries, like it could be a number of things, but just know that like we all go through cycles in our life. Um, that's one of my favorite things about Vedic astrology, actually that like it, it acknowledges that it acknowledges that we are not static. Um, and that just doesn't feel as much like the culture to me of Western astrology, at least at the surface level, I had studied it where it was like, this is your sun sign. This is who you are forever. Um, Vedic astrology is much more dynamic than that. It's, um, yeah, anyway, I won't get on that soapbox right now. Um, this episode's already got enough 
information, I believe. Um, so K2 is your past life karma. It's like, um, it's not past life merits. That is seen somewhere else in the chart. We'll talk about that sometime when it comes up and becomes relevant. Um, okay. I'll just tell you it's the fifth house is your past life merit. So if you have any kind of like blessings or whatever from past lives that come through with you, that's the fifth house. But past life karma is more, so that's what K2 represents. And it's more like lessons you've already learned. Um, so what that would, how that would play out if you've already learned a lesson around something, whatever, you know, usually it can be seen like with where, whatever house you have it in, um, you, you will be like more, either more spiritually connected to that house or, or to some level, both, um, very detached from worldly pursuits. Like maybe you just don't care about it. Not in like a, so it can play out the detachment piece of K2. It said one of the key words for K2 is said to be cutting. So it can cut you away by transit. Um, it can cut you away from that area of life. Um, by in your birth chart, it can just feel like you're just not very pulled to spend a lot of time there um, or whatever. And, it, and so usually the reason for that, so maybe it doesn't always feel like it, but the explanation in Vedic astrology is that it, um, is because you've already like kind of worked out your spiritual lesson, your karmas there, either in a past lifetime or, you know, in this lifetime in a different period in your life, you've already kind of worked through that stuff. So some things to be on the lookout for with Rahu are overindulgence, obsession can lead to addictive tendencies, um, but also can bring originality, independence, fresh insight and inspiration. Um, and, but it can also bring that more like neurotic tendencies. Um, and K2 is more like idealism, spirituality, intuition, um, self-sacrifice can bring a certain level of fanaticism or eccentricity, like just being kind of wacko about a certain area. I don't know. Um, so yeah, like solitude, both of them have a certain level of unpredictability. So when they move into an area of your chart by transit, they're going to bring like, uh, disruption basically. So with all of that said, just to tie a little bow on it in the explanation of Rahu and K2, what they mean astrologically, astronomically, and from mythology, K2, or sorry, Rahu is what you're in this life to do. It's the karmic lessons you're up against right now. Um, that would be by transit or um, wherever it is in your birth chart. That's going to be the more overarching theme of your entire life, but by transit, Every 18 months, you'll go through a cycle where you're feeling more drawn to another area. To put an, to put a bow on it, of just the explanation of Rahu and K2 in general, astrologically and astronomically, um, 
they it's a dance between Rahu and K2. They're always on opposite sides of the sky from each other. Always. Because they're moving around. So they're always in signs that are opposing each other. And as you may know, or maybe you don't, but now I'm telling you, um, in your birth chart, usually the houses that are seven away from each other. Um, so, so there's 12 signs, like this is to make it make more sense because this is how my brain works and I hope it helps you too. Um, there are 12 signs. So you have 12 houses. And when we say something is seven signs away from each other, it means it's opposing, meaning directly across, but just like FYI, cause this had me hung up for a long time. I was like, how is seven? That means 14, 12, you know? So, um, you start, when you start counting how many signs away, you start with the sign that you're on. So really it's like actually six signs away if you start counting with the next sign, but that's just not conventionally. That's just purely a convention, just a way of doing things. So when we say something is two signs away, it's really in the next house because you would start with one with the sign that you're on instead of that being zero. I hope that makes sense. Um, that's why the first and the seventh house are directly across from each other because um, it goes one and then you count all the way to seven. But really there's six signs if you start with the next one. I hope that makes sense. And um, I can give you a visual if you want or you can reach out with questions or you can just forget it and just accept it that seven signs away from each other is directly across. So they, then it goes like the first and the seventh, the fourth and the tenth. And I bring those up because those are two big ones. They are called the Kendra houses. They are the biggest areas of life. Like the first is your rising sign. It's also like yourself, your sense of self, your personality. The seventh is relationships. So self and other. The fourth and the tenth are your home life and your career. So that again, this internal, external kind of manifestation, the self, the other, um, and those are like the biggest areas of life for most of us, our sense of self, our intimate partner relationships, our career, and our home. And then everything else is kind of periphery to that. And that's how the North Indian chart is also set up. Um, so there's a worksheet for that in the planner um, to help you understand the houses and stuff. Eventually, I hope to have build that worksheet out and have more resources. The plan is to, you know, build it out as we go along. Um, so hit me with any questions you have, but basically since they're always seven signs away from each other, um, wherever Rahu is, you're going to feel pulled in that direction. And wherever K2 is, you're going to feel more disconnected from that area of life. And they're almost always like, it makes sense. If you're feeling more pulled towards your sense of self, it might put a disconnect between you and your relationships if you're like I'm really gonna focus on myself right usually people do that when they're like I mean people can do it in committed relationships too and that's great and I love when that happens but a lot of times what I see is somebody gets out of a committed relationship and they're like I'm just gonna spend some time focusing on myself right we've seen that we know what that's like um or when you get so focused on a committed relationship that you it could lead to codependency. Like, um, Nikki Myers actually explains codependency as an addiction of looking outside of the self. 
Um, and so that's what, like, that could happen as, like, when Rahu transits your seventh house. So then K2's in your first house. Or if if you have that in your birth chart, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be codependent. But it might mean that you, um, that relationships are very important to you and you care less about yourself. And that's not always a bad thing to like, you know, be, because it it can, because where K2 is, it can be like, not just that you don't care. Um, that's not usually the kind of detachment it is. Usually it's like a spiritual connection kind of detachment. Like you've already figured that out. You know what I mean? That's the past life karma piece is like, you've already kind of worked through your lessons there. So you're not having to like be obsessive about it to figure it out basically is the idea. And so we'll talk, we can talk more about, um, where they're hitting for you by transit based on the house. Cause I'm not going to sit here and go through all 12 houses right now. Um, I just talked those, those two big axes are like, they're pretty easy to explain it. So then some other ones could be like, um, the second and the eighth are also like on an axis. And the second house is like your finances, your assets, your diet. Um, and the eighth is like spiritual transformation. So if you're focusing more on building wealth, you might be less prone to removing yourself from the world for spiritual awakening or vice versa. If you are becoming, if Rahu's like kind of transiting your eighth house, you might become a little bit more of a spiritual ascetic, chasing down the spiritual transformation type stuff, removal from the world sense withdrawal. And that might um, make you care less about building assets and wealth or eating lavish food or whatever. So you can see they're all like on some kind of dynamic like that. Um, So that's Rahu and K2 in a nutshell. Basically, where one is, they're always, um, they're always creating this dynamic in life, and the where they are in the birth chart is a big lesson. Where they are by transit is the kind of karmic lesson, spiritual cycle you might be going through, and the eclipses are seen as portals. Um, so those are the events when it all kind of comes to a head, and we're able to like rethink, um, how we've been working with those spiritual lessons, basically. So let me know if you have any questions about that. So that's it for the lecture about Rahu and K2. I hope you revisit that as often as you feel like you need to, to let the information really like soak in because it's a lot. There's a lot of information. You could have taken notes. You could listen to it again and take notes. Just listen to it um, again and again, whenever it feels relevant to you, especially in about a month from now when Rahu and K2 do change signs, um, they change signs every 18 months. So that those could be good times to revisit this episode, um, to help you understand if you want some like next steps to work with this some more, where you can find more information about it. You can either go and join the membership and go ahead and hear about, more about where they've been and those archetypes and um, what that could mean for you. That's all in an episode that's already up on the membership. So as soon as you join, you would have access to it. Or 
you can book a reading and that's a really good way to just get my one-on-one attention. So a couple things, FYI, if you do, I've just recently at the beginning of this year raised my prices for readings because I'm going on maternity leave soon. My books are closing at the beginning of March. I believe March 4th is the last day I have open because that's just the week before my due date. Um, and I'll be taking off a minimum of six weeks from the time when my child is born. So at the end of that six weeks, I will probably have a very limited availability if I do open it up right away. Um, so if you want a reading, if you want to, um, get some more personalized one-on-one attention about, so instead of trying to decipher it yourself and piece it together piece by piece in a reading, I can just quickly, you know, that's the, the benefit of having me to look over your chart. I've had lots of practice. I can quickly, more quickly see, um, the patterns and how everything is playing together to help you decipher what this year might be like for you, what the upcoming 18 months, that's actually been a huge theme. I've had a lot of people coming for readings lately, um, wanting to know kind of like the year ahead. And that's the kind of stuff we can do in a very personalized and tailored way in a reading. So if you do want to do that, just know you need to go ahead and book, you need to go ahead and do it. Um, so like I said, I, um, raise the prices, but if you join the membership or buy the planner, both of those things have an option after checkout that you can still purchase a reading at the old price. Um, just little pro tip for you, but when I do go on maternity leave, those will be going away. And then forever afterwards, it will be the new higher price for readings. So if you want to get in there before this stuff all plays out. So because I'm taking maternity leave before Rahu and K2 actually change. But like I mentioned on last week's episode, the shift is starting to seep in this week. Go back and listen to that if you want to know more about that information. But just to reiterate why I thought this was really important to release this episode this week, if you've stuck around this long, I'm super glad. Um, and you get a little, you know, this is why you should stick around to the end, because I say more insightful things sometimes, um, is because I often see, and I'm seeing it playing out in my life, I'm seeing it playing out in the lives of people who I've given readings to, the lives of people, like, close friends and family who I have their chart. Um, this stuff is all coming to a head, so whatever karmic lessons you've been working with for the last 18 months, I am seeing it like super duper amp up as we near the end of the transit. And then it's going to shift. But if things are feeling pretty intense for you right now in a certain area, a certain dynamic, like I was talking about, then it might have something to do with Rahu and K2 because they're about to change signs. And so uh, the universe might be kind of forcing you to like work through some of this stuff. So if you want more insight on what stuff that might be, if you don't already have an inclination, um, you can go and listen to the episode of the membership if you sign up. Um, if you want me to just help you decipher it more personally and be available to give you like tips and tricks and yoga practices to work with it, that's what a reading is for. So thanks for sticking around. Let me know if you have any questions. I'm always available. You can find me on all social media or my website. Yogi Scopes spelled just like this podcast, um, yogiscopes.com or find that handle on social media. Send me a message, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.